In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, and as we sit here and record this episode, we're right in the middle of the first actual cold front of the year, and we are being somewhat responsible beyond how we normally are, and that's only because Levi and Colin and I are all three going together on a hunt tomorrow, so we're going to be gone for a week, and so we're getting ahead of schedule on our recording, trying trying to get next week's recording done early. So, uh, as you listen to this, it'll probably be hot again. I took a long way around to saying that, but <laughs> uh, because yep. it's going to get hot while we go on our trip, because that's just how life treats me. But um, I'm not going to delve into that. Um, on this episode, we have uh, a very interesting and uh, engaging topic that we get into all the time. We're going to talk about broadheads. We have a gentleman joining us. Uh, his name is Kenny Isringhausen. He has a new broadhead company called Fire in the Hole Broadheads. He's out of Illinois. We're going to bring Kenny on here in just a minute and find out more about him and his company and the broadheads and just talk about broadheads in general. It's always, it's, it's kind of one of those hot list topics on an archery podcast, probably right up there with FOC and crossbows <laughs> and <laughs> saddles <laughs> saddle hunting <laughs> and corn piles broadheads get right up there in, in the top five of uh debatable topics so we're going to talk broadheads i want to remind you before we get into that if you want to win 
our bow, and I have named it. We're going to call it Buy a Hat, Win a Bow, because the competition, the contest needs a name, right? That so, is insanely creative. Insanely. <laughs> <laughs> buy a hat, win a bow. Well, I mean, we've been doing it for like four weeks, and I haven't named it, so I figured we'll name the contest. Buy a hat, win a bow. So we're giving away the 2023 flagship bow from Bear Archery, the Execute 30, fully rigged out with Trophy Ridge accessories, and we're giving that bow away on December the 16th, and the title says it all because, as Levi said, it's extremely creative. Buy a hat, win a bow. Every hat that you buy on LouisianaBowHunter.com between now and the 15th of December gets you an entry into the drawing. And if you buy more than one hat, you get more than one entry. And we actually had someone contact us a week or so ago and said, Hey, I want to buy several hats, but I want to put my kids, my boys' names on a couple of those hats so we all get in the drawing. We can do stuff like that. I ask you not to overload us with that kind of stuff, but we can do that. <laughs> we can do that. So, uh, point being, gentleman bought three hats, had his two sons and himself all tagged on one of those hats, and they'll all be entered in the drawing. So, make sure that you head over to LouisianaBowHunter.com and check out more about that promotion and buy a hat and get entered into the drawing. So... As you listen to this, it will be November the 10th. Many of you will be up in the Midwest hunting the rut or just coming back from it. And um, hopefully everybody's been successful. Colin and Levi and Pepper, who y'all are all familiar with if you listen to this podcast a lot. We're all going up to Oklahoma to hunt tomorrow and hunt into next week. And uh, was a whole lot more excited about it till I saw how the weather forecast has changed. But we're going to make the best of it. And we might record a podcast. We may do some stuff like that to uh, to share with you. What what are your what are your expectations here, Levi? Given everything you know about what I'm about to drag you into, what's your expectations? We're gonna have a good hunt. I'm <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> We're gonna have a good hunt. We're gonna see some good deer. I don't know if. Tonto can make it happen with the recurve, but we're gonna. Uh, I I want y'all to know have a good hunt. that I respect Michael Pepper. For his just absolute diehard dedication to hunting with a traditional bow. I think it's cool. I really do. I, I do on, on one level. <laughs> but I tried to tell him he, you know, we're going to Oklahoma and it ain't a pine thicket. And he's sending me pictures of him shooting at like 15 yards and he's like dialed in. I'm like, dude, I ain't worried about you at 15 yards. That's not the problem. Like, we're going to have the biggest deer in Oklahoma walk by you at 35, and we're just going to video him walk by because you're sitting up there with an Indian bow. And you can't <laughs> shoot. <laughs> and you're going to shoot. You can't shoot at him, but we'll see. I've done the best I could to talk him down off of it, and he's just – he's he is as dedicated to that. Is he shoot a recurve or a longbow? I can't remember. Recurve. Recurve. He's as dedicated to that recurve as, as Colin is to Cosmic Brownies for his – Number one tree stand snack. <laughs> and or I should have said, actually, Levi, the unicorn cakes, actually. That, the unicorn that he buys cakes. By no, the, the, case. Pump, the pumpkin pumpkin spice rolls are the best. Do you bring those Little to Little Debbie Oklahoma? pumpkin spice rolls. I haven't eat, eaten a Cosmic Brownie all season. I might have to get dude, you. No, yeah, dude. Pack. You have to order the pumpkin spice rolls off the internet. They don't, you can't find them in stores. They are. Are you packing some for the trip? No, I know you I ordered them. Like you eight. sent me a picture of the case that you ordered. I off did. I ordered them. I took them to our camp, though, so oh, I don't have them. I got so. you. Mm. All right. 
Well, we're not going to make our guests wait uh, any longer because as we just sit here and shoot the bull. So, I'm going to bring him in, Mr. Kenny Isringhausen with Fire and the Whole Broadheads. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Kenny? I'm doing good. How about you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So, a mutual friend put us uh, in contact, uh, told me about your company, and we always like to talk broadheads. Like I said, broadheads are a, a, a very popular topic on an archery podcast. So I'm curious just to kind of start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, your background with archery and how you got into the broadhead business. My background with archery is I started hunting in, when I was a little kid. I, I don't know exactly when I started, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, my father brought home a, a recurve bow uh, from a gun deal and put it up on the shelf and never touched it. And I kept asking him to get it down and asked him to get it down. And I, he finally gave it to me. So I quit an, annoying him outside in the backyard and started shooting straw bales with a paper plate. And I, I was about eight when I started that. And just kept going and just kept going. And finally, by the time I was 10, everyone was like, you know, it, it wasn't a, they figured out it wasn't a kid that was just going to lose interest. I really, that's something I wanted to do. And the reason I got into archery when I was a kid was because I actually wanted to have 90 days to chase whitetail. That's really why I did it. Um, Because I just love going out there and and trying to find them and, you know, hunting and and doing all that stuff. And, And over the years, I mean, I used to be a consumer just like everybody else. I've, I've tried over the last 47 years, I've, probably shot every broadhead you can think of uh from muzzies to grim reapers to whatever you know um just like everybody else and uh in 2008 um i was hunting on our family farm and i uh i had a a nice 12 pointer come down the old dirt road that we got following a doe and uh 23 yards what I thought was broadside, I just let her rip. I knew it killed him. I didn't have any issues before. And uh, for whatever reason, it, it didn't didn't have a good outcome. It just, uh, we, we never found him that weekend. We looked everywhere, um, even called the neighbors, told them, you know, keep a lookout because they were still shelling corn. Make sure you don't run him in the corn head. That would be really bad. Uh, no one saw him until opening day of shotgun season. He showed up at the exact same place that I hit him with the arrow. And, uh, this time during gun season, I finished the job. The thing was that he still had the scar from where I hit him. And I learned, I learned a lot that day. It, it, it was, it was a bad shot on, on my, uh, my part. You can't really say it was a broadhead's fault. It, it was, it was really a, just a bad shot placement for me. And, uh, and after that, it, it kind of bothered me. Cause I was like, you know, I should have, I should have been able to do that. I should have been able to make that work. And uh, going into that fall of, uh, 2009, the next year, getting ready to go hunting. <clears throat> I honestly had an inspiration, uh, of, uh, a parts catalog, um, at my work was, uh, laying on the desk. You guys ever seen a step down drill bit? You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it, but I, I'm not picturing it's it. It's like a cone. It's like a cone, right? And oh, it's yeah. Got different, yeah. 
different yeah, yeah. levels, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I just, you know, that that hit me, and we're getting closer to season in August, and <clears throat> and I just I got I thought, man, that that would be an awesome broadhead, you know, if you could design something like that that would actually, you know. And it took about going outside to turn off my machines and my work, and and uh, took about three steps, and it just hit me. What I what I started making just hit me in my just in my head. I was just had a vision of what I wanted to do, and uh, <clears throat> I came home, sat down, and drew everything out. And then the next couple of weeks and stuff, we started putting things together, and uh, we come up with a fixed blade that cuts a one inch hole, not just your three slices, a one inch hole. Um, and what we did was we put a cutting ring about two thirds of the way back on it. It's a one inch ring. Um, and it, it's, it's set back there so that it actually, actually will fly accurately whenever you're shooting it. Um, and we started, we started messing around with that one. We just, we picked up all the old broadheads that we knew and started making some rings and put it together and went out and started shooting deer just to see if, you know, just to see if this was an idea that was going to work or not. And the first couple of years, my brother and I was the only two that was hunting with them. And, uh, oh, they worked. They worked very well. Um, so then we started going into production on them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, what do you, you know, Broadhead is such a, such a wide open uh, topic, like you said, you know, whenever you bring it on somewhere, everyone starts talking about, this one and that one and what it does and what it does. What what do you guys look for in a broadhead? I mean, what do you, what's what do you, what do you guys want in a broadhead? Who wants to answer first? Levi, you answer first. I ask and then I talk. Okay. My biggest deal on broadheads, and when I can get away with it, I like shooting a mechanical just from the tunability of it that they shoot just like a field point. So. Mm-hmm. I am a huge believer, like most people that have hunted a long time, that if you shoot them in the right spot, doesn't matter what broadhead you're shooting. You're right. going to kill that animal. Now, sometimes the blood trail may be a little bit more than others with the bigger cutter, bigger cut broadhead, but for the most part, it doesn't matter. If they fly both the same, there's no tuning issue. It's all on you at that point. All right, picture this. It's a frosty November morning. You're 20 foot up in a lock-on, and you got a big buck running a doe by your stand. I know many places in the country you don't get a chance to see things like that, but here in Kansas, you do. Hi, this is Matt Wanzer with 180 Outdoors. We've been guiding hunts in Kansas and Oklahoma since 2006 and selling real estate for the last eight. We do a lot of land leasing and property management. We could set up tree stands, plant food plots, just about anything that you would need to take care of your farm. Whether you own a piece here, you lease a piece here, or you're looking to do either, we can help you get set up with that. But did you know that we also own a real estate brokerage? It's L2 Realty Inc. That stands for Land and Lifestyle Properties. We do a lot with hobby farms, but we also specialize in hunting properties. And with those hunting properties, you'll run into the opportunity to earn with tillable ground, livestock grazing, uh, mineral rights, and hay. So if you want a safe place to put your money and an opportunity to hunt big Kansas whitetails, check us out on YouTube catch the YL2 video, www.l2realtyinc.com, or of course on any of your major social media platforms, Instagram or Facebook. Look us up. Hey, we're a hard charging company and we're looking to grow. If you've ever thought about a career in real estate, 
and living the outdoor lifestyle, and we'd like to talk to you about how our team can support you and grow your career. If you want to learn more about us, check us out on YouTube at L2 Realty Inc., Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, l2realtyinc.com. Buzzard Roost Saddles made right here in the great state of Louisiana should be on every Louisiana bow hunter's list as a must-have in their hunting arsenal. Buzzard Roost Saddles achieves comfort through adjustability for those long day sets during the rut and also provides the maneuverability to get up and move when you see the need. Buzzard Roost Saddles was created with the need to lighten the Piro as well as the backpack to go deeper than everyone else. Louisiana bow hunters are a mixed bag and Buzzard Roost Saddles is the tool to fit any job. Whether it's public land, private land, hardwoods, pines, or even the bottomless swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles has what you need to stay mobile. So that's kind of my short answer to that. Okay. Colin, do you have a, do you have an answer? I, I mean, <clears throat> no, I mean, pretty much just an accurate broadhead that is going to perform how I want it to. Um, and you know, be, be deadly. I have I have a couple of ways to approach your question, Kenny, and I'm glad you ask it because it, I mean it, well, it's good it's good podcast talk, but um, it opens up the conversation and and so for me primarily you know I would start at saying I am extremely I can't help it I have anxiety about arrow flight and consistency, so. I want to marry performance with consistency in terms of arrow flight because I'm going to lean on what Levi said. I live mostly by the fact that if you make good shots, there's a lot of different broadheads you can shoot that will kill the animal. The, but but the other thing that I want to mention in my answer is we hunt in the South, and Colin and Levi and most of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast all hunt in areas where we have the kind of terrain – where even a very lethally shot deer can just vanish and be really hard to find and do it in within 100 yards. And so I have found myself through the course of my archery, my archery hunting life, growing up and shooting a lot of different things, that I do want a broadhead that bleeds out a lot because the better the – where we hunt, a lot of times I'm hunting on the edge of something that a beagle dog can barely run through – and even even though I make a really good shot, the deer can get in there and become really hard to find. And so those are the things that are most important to me. I want a broadhead that makes a deer bleed if I do my job so that they're easier to find in this, this terrain that I primarily hunt in. And then, of course, I want consistency in arrow flight because the rest of it's up to me. Okay. All right. My idea whenever I first come up with this was – my, my whole broadhead company is is based on the fact that I want to develop broadheads that will put an animal on his butt as fast as possible, period. That's what it's all about. I think every archer in the world wants to, once, once you hit that deer, you don't want him to run any farther than what he has to, right? Right. I mean, you want the lethal. Yep. You want the lethal. And then yes. Levi said the accuracy. Absolutely, guys. If you're making broadheads and you're not making them to where they are accurate, then you, you, you shouldn't even be in the business. Uh, one of the great things about that ring broadhead uh, is that ring actually acts as a stabilizer. It, it, it is insanely, insanely accurate. 
we have we have not found a range that that thing will not fly. I would love to be able to film two, three hundred yards because it'll fly because the ring actually displaces the the air over top over the face of that ring evenly. So that's what gives you the the uh, accuracy on it. So as far as pinpoint accuracy, uh, that's something that whenever we build them, that we make sure that that's it. And everything gets everything that we build. I don't know about other companies and that kind of stuff, but everything that we build and put out there, it gets physically inspected every single one of them before it goes in the pack. And if there's anything, even even a questionable doubt, we lay it over and look at it and inspect it a little bit more before we make sure that we put it out there. So everything you get in the package has already went through someone's eyes that knows what they're doing. Um, but the number one thing that I want to impress upon you, you, you know, you said that you were you you hunt in places where the animal can disappear in a hundred yards, correct? A lot of times, yes. Okay, yep. that's what these two. I have two design broadheads, two designs of broadheads, so a fixed and a mechanical for Levi. If um, so, on on a regular double lung shot. How, how far does an animal normally go? I mean, in my experience over the years of doing that, around 50, 60 yards? Yeah, say 60 a, to yeah. 100 most on a, of the on time. On a pass-through. I would say... Yeah, I would, on a pass-through. Yeah. Right, right there behind the, the, sh the shoulder and right through basically double lung, right? Yeah, I would say the one variable to that question that, that in fairness we have to add to it is it makes a big difference not just like in what's happening at the time of the shot. Basically, yes. how alert the deer is. You yes. know, if you shoot a buck that's cruising through in the rut and, and you just you don't have to stop him, he never knows you're there, and you just slip one through him, he he probably will go 50 yards and stop and pile up because he, he's never in fight or flight. He's just like, what's going on? You know, yeah. inversely, if you shoot a deer that's on high alert, that sucker that would normally go 50, 60 yards and then slow down enough to pile up, he runs with full emotion for right. for further. So so there's that variable that's not really part of your question, but but yeah, I think you have to consider that too. Okay, what we've seen out of the ring broadhead, and it's been in production since 2015, and we've got you know loads and loads of uh, testimonies and and people uh, and and ourselves using it and stuff. If you double lung that animal it's going to go down around 30 yards and that's been a consistent number over and over again. Now, sometimes they're at 28, sometimes they're at 35. Like you said, just depends on what's going on and how hard they're hit and where they're in with their adrenaline's pumping or whatever. Um, but that's been a consistent number every single time. Uh, since we invented these and we've been uh, hunting with them and stuff, I haven't tracked a deer that's been double long shot at all. Uh, because i always see them go down so what do you attribute what as far as the design and the intended performance what do you what is the attribution for that you know what is it doing oh, what's it doing simple. that's causing so, that so what you're doing so you're what you're doing you're not cutting three slices or even four slices you're actually four. taking a hole out of the animal you're taking a one inch hole completely through that animal and what that does if you want to get into the scientific crap on it uh what that does is as soon as that ring broadhead takes that one inch core completely out of the animal the blood pressure on the animal just goes to nothing i mean it just drops and you'll see these deer they look like they're trying to get traction on ice they are 
trying to pump their legs as fast as they can and they're not going anywhere. Interesting. So you're and, saying you're saying the 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 more slicing cuts of a three or four blade or even two blades yes. is the whole is, is it, it's not it's not affecting blood pressure as, in that the hole can still close up. To not as much, not as much. It won't it won't uh, affect the blood pressure as much as what a hole will. If you take that hole completely out of that animal, I mean, imagine an animal has got a one inch hole through his lungs. And, and and when I say this, guys, when these broadheads go through, your fletching actually pulls, makes a vacuum and it pulls the inside of that hole out. Whenever you go to get to your blood trails, you're going to find chunks of bone, meat, hair, fat, lung tissue, heart tissue, whatever you got. You're going to find that in your, in your blood trail. Fat, because it really does. I mean, we've got some pictures and some videos and stuff after you get these deer hung up and stuff. Uh, even with their innards in them, you can still see through the hole. Yeah. I mean, it, it just makes a nice little clean one-inch hole. And the ring is big enough that it fits over the ten, a 10-gauge shot shell. So it's a true one-inch hole all the way through that animal. And uh, we're... It's interesting. You know, it, it, that's something that we've always we've always seen. And it's not just me. I mean, and it works on bears, uh, elk mule deer i mean there's a lot of people has hunted all over the country with them so uh, you, you shot some bigger game with them have you ever shot a moose with them or anything no I, I don't know on either, either one of my designs i don't know anyone that shot a moose now we yeah. have killed elk yep. but not moose yep uh um, and then my my game animal to go to to test my broadheads is actually a wild hog yep Okay. Every one of these things, I take it and I send it to people that I know in South Carolina, Texas, or wherever, or Georgia, or whatever, and I just tell them, you know, look before before this new design or anything gets on, the, you know, out there to people, I want to see it kill animals the way I want it to work. If it doesn't do that, we don't put them out. Um, and we do have a new design on the ring broadhead, and that's really what what his final test was. Send it to Texas, let Tim kill a hog. And I want to see then, you know, cause what they do is they, they kill, they kill the hogs and then they know what I want. They, they, they tell me how far it went. They show me the wound channel. They show me the broadhead, how it looks afterwards. And if, if it passes all my tests and that kind of stuff, then we put it out in the market. If it doesn't, we keep, we keep designing until we get it there. Well, that's, that's the interesting design. One, one broadhead in mind that, that, that kind of reminds me of, or and you've probably heard of them, is the toxic broadheads uh -huh. that makes a plug. Uh, the only thing, and I'm sure y'all have done your rigorous testing, the only thing that kind of concerns me with that ring on the back of it would be penetration. Did y'all see any, I mean, as far as just like a... Causing drag? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, drag through the cavity of the animal, you know, hanging up on fat or, you know, rib or something like no, that. No, it won't hang up on anything. What, what you guys got to realize is everything in front of that ring is a regular mm -hmm. three-bladed fixed broadhead. So it's already okay. cutting. There so it's go. already cutting and breaking. So if you hit a bone with it, especially let's say rib bones, because we're talking about, um, you know, double on, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to hit that rib bone with the point and the blades are going to cut it. All the ring does, guys, and where it's where it's positioned at, and that's why it's two-thirds of the way back for two reasons. Exactly what you just said, Levi, is because you want to basically break and cut everything in front of that ring. You want to do as much damage go. in front of that ring 
so that when the ring comes along, like you said, it doesn't have the penetration issue. We have found that people that are using a 50 pound regular you know, conventional compound bow does not have problems with it going through the other side. Now, will it pass through? Maybe, maybe not, but it will get through the other side. The fletching might not get through. I mean, your arrow might be stuck inside, you know what I'm saying? Halfway yeah. through the animal, but We've also had ladies take it down to 40 pounds. You will get in far enough to where you will completely put a hole through a, through the first lung. All right. And those animals will run about 45 yards is about the magical number, 45, 50 yards right in there. Because if you, once again, if you take that complete hole out of that lung, they're done. It's just a matter of how far they're going to run before then. And it's not very far. See, that's a that's the thing people need to realize is on our broadheads and stuff that we've had designed over the years, two, three, four, a slice is a completely different thing than a hole. You I mean you understand that? I mean, because you're you're sure. actually removing that material out of that yep. animal. That's what yeah, makes it's... that's what makes the design so much deadlier, more deadly than your regular slices. And 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 I'm not I'm not going to trash any broadhead, but there is there is no fixed blade broadhead that can keep up with this because all they're doing is slices. And also, you've also got, you know, these um, hybrid broadheads that everyone comes out with and that kind of stuff. What they're trying to do is they're just trying to add more slices because aren't they trying to get to where I'm at already? They're trying to make as much damage on the inside of that animal as possible. If you just take that hole out, you've done as much damage as you can do. Purposefully built and designed for every hunting scenario, the Persist is packed with more features than any bear bow before. Stealthy and silent help define the mission behind the design of this bow. In-riser dampeners and killer wave limb dampeners eliminate vibration, while all new silent shelf technology provides security against air and arrow contact with your riser. New integrated loops have been added into the limb pockets, allowing for quick and secure connection of a pull-up rope, as well as machined-in quick disconnect attachment points for your favorite QD shoulder sling. The Persist dresses up as sleek as possible, with Picatinny mounts for your sight and the integrated mounting system for your arrow rest. At Bear Archery, we persist on building the finest bows available. And this is our finest yet. Yeah, it goes back to a surface area deal is what it is. Yes. I mean, like yes. you said. Yeah. If if you you've seen some of the broadheads go, oh well, we've got you know inch and a quarter or inch and or two inches of cutting surface or whatever, right? If you do that with my ring broadhead, it's over seven and a quarter inches. If you measure the way they do, and and, and that's fine. I mean, I I know what they're trying to do. They're they're, they're trying to get people to understand that they're making damage. And, and that's really as bow hunters, that's what we're trying to do is make as much damage to those internals as possible. That's, that's the name of the game. So I will go ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish what you're going to say. No, go ahead. Cause go uh, ahead. I was going to, I was going to ask about, and I'm looking at, at pictures of the broadhead online and I'm looking at the tip and you're, you're using a, a chisel style tip, mm -hmm. not that, you know, similar to many fixed bay broadheads use a chisel tip. I'm just curious, sure. in your testing, did you try a different style of, of tips? And, and if so, 
Oh, sure. Why did, why, the, what, what made you settle actual, on this one? Oh, that's simple. The original one, the original ring broadhead head that we come out with had a round tip on it. Mm-hmm. Just like the old Thunderheads used to have back in yeah. the 70s and stuff. It was just a regular round conal type mm-hmm. tip. You know why I changed? I don't. Because nobody liked my tip. Everyone was convinced that I had to have a trocar tip in order for it to work. So I'll, I'll say this. Makes I, sense. I mean, I, I shoot. I, 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 don't, people. I, I, I can attest in that I shoot Grim Reapers. And, mm-hmm. you know, Reaper now makes several different types. And I still shoot the trocar tip because I grew up shooting muzzies with a trocar, three-braid muzzy. Yep. And I've always believed in that tip. And so that's when I started shooting Grim Reapers. That's, you know, they have a couple of different and I and I'm I'm I, I can't say that I really know why, but I feel like that trocar tip is just more devastating as far as blunt force. You know, and, and I don't I don't have a lot of I don't have any data to support that other than just my experience. Well I, I can I can tell you why it's a why it's a, a, a better let me let me back up a little bit. You're talking to somebody that has a BS degree in chemistry, a minor in physics, a minor in biology. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a science geek, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand a lot of this stuff. Uh, on your trocar tip, it's real simple. Your, your point of impact is in a smaller, a smaller point, if that makes sense. On your cone, if you look at a, if you look at a conal tip, as it comes back, it comes back at a certain angle, right? On the trocar tip, it comes to a very, very sharp point. So whenever you hit something like that, the uh, the displacement of the kinetic energy is less on the trocar tip because it does it at a at a, at a slower pace, if that makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because all of your energy is at that very sharp point and we look at the trocar tips you know they they do have almost have a kind of a blade type thing to them right so you're putting a blade on your point whereas the conal doesn't have a blade type thing that's that's why they can slip through a lot faster and and you know when you when you magnify all that energy and a certain just one point like let's say we're going to hit a bone you're just shattering that bone because you're transferring that energy just just yeah almost instantaneously and it's like almost like an explosion well that's without any scientific data or testing to it that's how it's always seemed to me the trocar yes. tip did more bone damage which is why i've yes. always looked for it in any broadhead i shot because i felt yeah, like you're transferring that energy just just you're magnifying it interesting so on your broadheads the way they're designed can you replace those blades with that ring on it or is it a one one shot deal. No, you can you can do you can replace the blades and and rings if you want to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. it it is a very it's a very interesting design and I'm with Levi when I first saw it it reminds me most of the Toxic and I'll and I'll say I tried to shoot the Toxic just because I was interested in it cuz it was very new in its, you know, concept when they came out and First problem is they absolutely destroy your block targets. Like 
destroy them. So that, <laughs> yes, that that's <laughs> one problem. The second problem was with the with the toxic, and I don't know. Maybe you can explain this different from you know what you've learned in developing science. You know, behind all this, I could never get a toxic to fly at all. I mean, it was bad. It and and I and I and, and with that being said, I've never been really good at tuning broadheads. And as I got older, and bows got more advanced, and I started shooting faster, that is how I ended up moving to a reaper and, and an expandable style because of my issues tuning. But the, but the toxic was, it was impossible for me to get it to fly. So uh, what, it, you know, knowing what you know about that compared to your design, and I know you talked about, you know, the ring and what it does with the dragon. That's very interesting, but I'm curious if there's any more you can tell us about that and, and how that works differently than say something like the toxic. Okay. Well, all right, I'm, I'm going to say this because I know it's true. In 2011, I went to the Innovation Zone with my ring broadhead. When did Toxic come out? Um, probably. I have no idea. I would say Not sure. the, somewhere between 2010 and 2015, something in there. I don't know exactly. 2012. Oh. Okay. That is the first industry's shot at my ring broadhead i got you okay i i will never go to the innovation zone ever again because of that i've i've went to the ata with my broadheads and stuff but anyway that that being said yes i know all about the toxic because a lot of people confuse my broadhead with the toxic and i can tell you the stark 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 difference between what that design does and what mine does okay my ring is a one piece ring that has a 45 degree bevel on the front of it and that's what makes it sharp okay and it is honed true on the inside in other words it is smooth uh you will never plug up my ring broadhead you can't because there is nothing on the inside of it to plug up when it cuts it is cut it is since it's beveled from the inside out it is smooth on the inside it will never clog because the, once again, remember the the blades have already cut everything. The tip and the blades have already cut and broke everything. So when it hits that ring, it just slides right on through. Now on the toxic design, the way the ring, the way the blades are designed, and they have the actual the slope up and they ring around. They actually do not come together. Mm -hmm. There's a little on the yeah. back of the blades. There's a little opening there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I, I don't know because I've never shot them, but I know several people that have. And that's whenever you, whenever you try to force material through that blade design like that to where it goes up and in, what you're doing is you're basically bringing it in. And that's what's plugging it up. Okay, I can tell you whenever we were playing with this ring design, we actually turned the ring, the bevel around and actually brought it in. And I knew it wasn't going to work, but I just wanted to try it to see if it see what it does. Oh no, it plugs up immediately because what it does is when it cuts that material, it forces it into that ring. Can't do yeah. that. Has to go the other direction, obviously. I see. What and you know, saying. whenever, whenever my brother and I were playing around with this thing, I mean, we guys, we tried every every conceivable thing that you might put it through in the field. Um, 
we've shot every material you can possibly think of. Uh, but our but our true thing was to go out there and actually put it through the test on the animals. And that that's always you know you have all these broadhead you have all these broadhead tests. <laughs> oh, I can, oh I yeah. Can tell you, I can they tell you from a from a person that understands. Those are the biggest crock of crap I've ever seen in my life, and I don't care what broadhead it is. I don't care what you're trying to do. If you got some Billy Joe Bob in the back of his yard trying to shoot it through a piece of plywood, that's not going to tell you anything other than it'll kill house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, really, because you are not trying to kill a piece of wood. You're trying to shoot a deer, and a deer is composed of flesh, bone, fat, blood, you know, all that together, there is no medium that you can shoot that will replicate an animal. You just, there is nothing. You can't practice on anything. The only way to really get these broadheads to work and understand exactly how they work is go out in the regular hunting condition and shoot them. And that's that's how we've developed them. That's what, see, I come up with this idea in 2009. It didn't hit the market till 2015 because we were still shooting animals. Hmm. We were just, you know, we were having a blast doing it and enjoy everything. And it just, you know, my cousin had a bow shot and he goes, you need to do something with this thing, you know, because everyone's shooting these things. And, and you know, we made two or three hundred of them and sold them around the local area and everybody was using them and, and having a good time with them and everything was going great. And that's what we just kind of developed into, hey, let's start a broadhead company. <laughs> yeah. So. So. I'm looking. I'm looking at at the website, and I'm I'm just mm-hmm. browsing through it. And I've always wanted to know this, so this is probably an answer that you can give that would apply to a lot of different broadhead companies. But you know, I see you have a a, a compound model and a crossbow model. What what are the oh, what yeah. do you change in order to make it a you know a crossbow? I, I can understand a little bit. On 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 uh, expandable broadheads, but on a fixed blade, what are you doing different to make it more compatible for crossbows? Any broadhead. Change the insert card. Change the change insert. the insert card <laughs> on the packaging. <laughs> yep, there is absolutely no difference between my compound and crossbow. Absolutely none. It's the exact same broadhead. So it's just marketing. Yes, because what I did when I first started selling these online in 2015, I would I would you know. I got a regular job like everybody, right? This is my passion side job. I would come home, put up an email, and I, I mean, it would be a hundred or whatever. Does it work for crossbows? Does it work? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. So finally, I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to try to beat the industry. I'm just going to do what everybody else does and put a crossbow version and a compound version. And that's even on mechanical. They are the exact same broadhead. Because, guys, whenever whenever I'm sitting here trying to design a broadhead and stuff, knowing that we have crossbows now, why would I go through all the trouble of designing a broadhead that can't stand up to a crossbow? Right. I, 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 I'm not going to do that. What we do is when we get these new designs and we get new ideas and stuff, that is the very first thing we shoot it through is a crossbow because I want to see if it's going to stand up to it. And you I mean, can paint them with hammer like them. all the other broadhead companies do 
Do what? You can paint them a different said, color. You can paint them a different color like all the other broadhead companies. Well, do. I've done that. Oh, I played that game too. Oh, yeah. We had a red <laughs> feral and that was supposed to be our crossbow and stuff, you know. You know, and yeah. we, we kind of we kind of dug the red red feral ones. We, we thought those were pretty cool. But, <laughs> you know, when I'm designing broadheads and stuff, I want to make sure that they're going to stand up to anything. And because the last thing I want to do is like, okay, so Levi's hunting with a crossbow, right? And, and oh, yeah. Some, whatever. <laughs> For whatever reason, I'm sorry, I didn't even insult you. Uh, but Levi's hunting with a crossbow, and, and for some other reason, he doesn't have broadheads. And Colin says, Here, try some of mine, right? Yeah. If, they're, yep. if they won't stand up to it, then so, so guess, who, guess who's going to take the brunt of that? That's the deer. Yeah, I mean, you guys yeah, gotta understand my, my, my passion of making sure that you do not wounded animal is just embedded in me from my father because my father whenever he started us deer hunting he told us straight up you that animal deserves your respect to put him on the ground as fast as possible and you do not take a shot if there's any question that it's not going to work you just don't do that and that's how i got started hunting you just don't make marginal shots you don't take marginal shots I mean, even to this day, I've had deer come into the food plots or come through the timber and stuff, and something just doesn't feel right, don't like the angle, don't like that they're all nervous or, ups, you know, on eggshells. I'll let them go. I just will not take a Hail Mary, maybe let's get an arrow in it. No. Preach on, I, I brother. I won't do that. Yep. Preach on. We preach that message. I, I just won't do that. That's a good practice. Yeah. It is. Well, yeah. and the, the sad yeah, thing look is. At, look at it. I was going to say the sad thing uh, from my point of view is in the broadhead industry and even in all the way down to the bow, but the arrows, the bows, the broadheads, everything, uh, we've even get caved to that idea a little bit in marketing. Like people are starting to market like you can get away because our, our bow is so great or our broadhead is so awesome that it just it's it, you know it's 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 like a stick of dynamite you can just shoot them however and it's going to gash a hole and they're going to bleed out like i'm not saying people say that directly in their marketing but they lean they lean into that like you can get away with more with this product because it's so great and it's like that's come on now i mean i don't care short of a stick of dynamite if you don't shoot a deer no. in a good spot it doesn't matter how good your broadhead is you know you're i'm i'm, I'm as as a broadhead manufacturer i will be 1000% with you because here's here's one of the problems I do have with my broadheads. I get guys that do exactly what you just said. They have so much confidence in it. They made these shots over and over again. Everything's doing great and that kind of stuff. And then they will make some, you know, just they'll they'll shoot because it's always worked, right? Mm -hmm. It's always worked, and they'll they'll push the subject. Yeah. And then yep. something doesn't work. I mean, the only way the only way to get my broadheads not to don't hit something that bleeds that's all broadheads right, right. but yeah. you know high low front you know you got those guys i mean i've seen these guys especially my mechanical taken and shoot them in the neck i would never ever 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 shoot them in the neck but these guys have so much confidence in that four inch broadhead that they'll do it yeah so that I, yeah so yeah let's, just, let's segue to that because i won't do that the, yeah. Those that thing looks like two samurai swords strapped together and like it's just <laughs> ready to absolutely end a life. So please tell me about this thing. 
<laughs> okay, so making the ring broadhead and selling it all those years, you know, you go out and you do shows and you you sell them and stuff and even get questions online. Make, you know, why don't you make a mechanical broadhead? Okay. I made one before this. It's about two and a quarter inches. I saw the prototypes on the shelf in there. Did it work? Yeah. Worked great. It was it was something. But it's only two and a quarter inches, and I don't know how you would take that design and compete with everything else on the market. Because remember, my whole idea about making broadheads is to do as much damage on the inside of the animal as possible. Okay? Now, I also have a bow fishing tip that I was work I, I've worked on and I've I've produced before. Um and the combination of that plus when you make when you make a fixed blade broadhead, half of your weight, almost half of your weight is in the ferrule. Mm -hmm. And a lot of other designs, more than half the weight is in their ferrule. Okay. Your blades are just carried by that ferrule, right? Okay. So my thought was, how do you make a four-inch broadhead? Simple. Eliminate the ferrule. Put all the weight in the blades. Well, obviously you can't eliminate the ferrule, right? Completely. But let's make it as possibly small as possible. And then take all the material that we save out of that and put it in the blades. And that's exactly what I did. So, the ferrule yeah. on, on that four inches only. Yeah, it's, it's small. I mean, looking at pictures it's of it, small. it's definitely small. It's like the size of a field point, correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. So what I did was I took two knife blades, put a hole in the field point, put them in there. That's basically it. Now there's a spacer in there too, so it'll hold it open at the correct angle so that it, it opens when it hits the animal. It's very hard. To, it's very difficult to explain to people what it looks like if they've never seen it before. The samurai sword thing was a pretty good analogy. The samurai sword thing is probably about <laughs> the closest one that I've seen so far. Now, and, and everyone, you know, some people are like, well, you know, it looks different. Yes, it looks different. But here's what I'll tell you. Of course, it has to look different. If there was a four, if there was a way to make a four inch broadhead before I did this, right? Wouldn't it already be done? You know, that looks like a regular conventional broadhead. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't someone have already done that? Yeah. Yeah. It just took me sitting down and go, look, I want to make something that competes with my ring broadhead. Remember the 30, 30 yards after a double long shot? Mm -hmm. Okay. I wanted something that would rival that because I didn't want to make this one killer broadhead. And then another one's like, eh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Knowing what I know in the science and all that stuff, I figured if I could get to a four-inch broadhead, it would rival what I'm already doing. And I am correct. It works just like the ring broadhead. So, so in order to do that, you have got to have more material in those blades because when you got a when you got a blade out there at four inches, actually two inches off the side, do you realize the amount of force and pressure there is out there if you're going through a bone? Yeah. You have got to have a thick, huge heavy tough blade in order to do that and these blades that you know that are on this four inch they have went through every major bone in a whitetail's body up here in the midwest because we've cut spines into i know that sounds impossible but we've done it 
front legs, briskets. My brother shot one and just absolutely destroyed a brisket. Killed him. He didn't run 30 yards because one of the blades opened up in the bottom of his heart. But just <laughs> cut that brisket in half. Um, the, well, imagine if you if, imagine if you heart shot one with this thing. It's going to slice it completely in half. Yes. Yeah. Just about. You can cut hearts in two on it. Yeah. <laughs> So yes. the, my, when I look at the design of this, and encourage people to go to, to fireinthehole.com and you can see these designs. When I look at it, my first question is, I, I guess that, that stands out to me the most, is there's no tip, you know, right. technically no, tip. I, so no, no. that I, there's two. Well, there, well yeah, I, I guess there is in that <laughs> both blades are sticking forward. Yes. But, you know, without the, the, the standard you know, initial penetration, tip, like of tip, the trocar that we talked cut. about. Yeah, without like uh -huh. going back to the trocar conversation, without that initial trauma that 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 tip inflicts. I mean, how does this work in in without that? I mean, are we looking at this these these two front tips? Are they penetrating and then opening, or is it just Absolutely. sliding? So they go in. Your these tips are gonna are gonna penetrate and go in. Stab through first. Stab and then through. they start to go. open? Yep, stab. This broadhead stabs in. It does not cut in. It stabs in, okay? It's, for lack of a better word, this, this is, you know, everybody's got to come up with a thing. This is a controlled expansion as it's going in the animal, okay? It hits at seven-eighths of an inch. Those two, those two blades are cut on contact. They have very sharp razor edges on them, Okay. When those hit, if you notice the angle on the blade, mm -hmm. right, that was the hardest thing that I did on the whole broadhead was trying to figure out exactly how to control that expansion. So I didn't want to go right out to the side immediately, right? Because then you're going to be hung up in the, the rib cage and all that stuff, right? But you want it to open up so when it does hit the first lung, it's absolutely open, all right? So that angle is an optimum angle so that it has a controlled expansion. And so it goes through, it hits a seven eighths of an inch. And if you look at the back side of your rib cage, right, it'll be about an inch to an inch and a quarter on the inside. But we show you photographs and we've, we've, we field dress every single deer that we kill because we always want to look at the damage and stuff. And I can tell you that when it hits those lungs, it is 100% open. So you're four inches from the start to it goes out the other side. Hmm. And it, it's it. And see, the, the feral has to have a point or it's not going to go through bones. Correct. Right. Right. The feral has to have a point. Mm -hmm. If you look at the blades and you can't see this from the picture, but if you look at the blades at the bottom of the blade, when it's open, if you look at the open picture, it has a half moon over right. top of the ferrule. Right. Okay. The blades are actually single beveled sharpened. So that means they're sharpened like a lawnmower blade, right? Okay. And then they're offset each other. So whenever they come together over top of that ferrule, they actually make a cutting point. All right. So the whole surface of that four inches cuts over top of the ferrule. Yeah. That's why we can go through all these bones that we go through. And guys, my customers send me and show me and tell me things that I don't even believe 
half the time. They have shown me and they have shown to me that my design went far past what I ever thought it would do. These guys go out and use this thing and just do things that I just go, wow, how in the world did you do that? But they do it over and over again. And that one has killed it. elk and all the way down to rabbits. Everything so is this, is this one, does it fly like a mechanical or does it fly like a fixed? Explain the difference. Well, it's I mean, not, like, there's no broadhead tune involved in it because, you know, obviously, like, you know, a, just say a, a Mont G5 Montec, you know, if you're shooting a G5 Montec with two inch blazers, you're probably going to have a little bit of a hard time getting it to tune perfectly. As opposed oh, okay. to putting a rage on the front of it, or yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like okay, people, right, okay. people shoot from mechanical, just slap it on there, and it, they say it flies the same. Yeah. Okay. Remember me telling you they're single beveled blades. Okay. Those yeah. two big blades are single yeah. beveled, right? Right. And okay. they're off, and they're offset of each other. Exactly. So whenever you have, when you have them in the firing position, right, and you shoot this thing, the broadhead will spin itself clockwise. I got you. Gotcha. So it so it's like a bullet. It will spin itself so that it is it is accurate. And see, a lot of people what they do is they want to look at this design and they hold it sideways, you know, so where you can see it, the the width of the blades, right? Mm -hmm. Take it and turn it. It's only hundred thousands thick the whole way up through there. You know, they're yeah. both blades are fifty thousands thick. So really, in front of the field point ferrule, there's really nothing up there that's really yeah. going to disturb the air that much now remember me telling you that it was spins through the air it also spins through the animal when you hit that animal this thing rotates so it rotates at through. four inches absolutely it rotates at four inches let me and it will a question just, yes before i forget uh you it rotates clockwise so do you need to make sure that you've got clockwise rotation with your air you know because i mean you can flop your your fletchings and shoot like a left helical and get technically a counterclockwise spinning yes. arrow so yeah i, I don't you know, honestly levi i don't know the answer to that one because i've never shot a left helical everything we've ever shot is right or just mm -hmm. standard straight yeah i don't yeah. i don't know the answer to that one but so sure. i guess would you would you know the answer to have you seen better performance out of the right helical than the no. straight about the same no no because the broadhead the broadhead rotates pretty good by itself so if you have a straight it's going to go ahead and rotate anyway it, it i mean if you have a right helical obviously it's going to rotate better but i we haven't seen any difference between it because my nephew has straight uh my son and i shoot a right helical and we've never seen any <laughs> issues out of it mm-hmm very interesting. Okay. So you've seen this thing, you've seen this this mechanical go like perpendicular and a pass through through ribs. Oh, absolutely. Just absolutely. I oh, mean, I can show you. If it, I can if it does that, bad. it's just if it <laughs> yeah, does that, it's just bad. game over. <laughs> well, it'll cut. It'll cut at least three ribs going out. You can't. You can't on a regular on a regular Midwest whitetail here in Illinois. You're going to get three ribs. 
even if it's even if it's at a 90 degree angle you're gonna smack yeah. three ribs if it's on an angle the most I've ever seen is well actually the one gentleman shot it all the way through the rib cage from the back to the front hmm. and got almost all the ribs except for right up in front he sh he, he shot a doe at a hard quartering and the entrance wound is I believe around 14 inches golly and so you got to understand that when, when, when I say that see if you if if you hit that animal horizontally right the one they since they're independent blades the one stabbed and cut in as the broadhead's going at that angle then it finally gets to the center of the ferrule and the other one opens up and it continues to cut so whatever angle that you sh that you go at that deer on hard angle shots you're going to get a lot of damage on the front end yeah i'm looking at this picture in your gallery of this this doe this neck shot <laughs> Jesus. Was oh, that the one with man. the bottom of the throat's cut out? Yes. Yeah, looks like you threw a tomahawk. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, it is <laughs> called the tomahawk. It is, it is named appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Actually, this is pretty that's crazy. A friend, that's a good friend of mine down in, in Kentucky. That doe actually jumped the string and tried to back mm. up. She went down and went back. And it caught her at the base of her skull and the back of her head and went out through her throat. She about got herself decapitated. Yeah, just about decapitated. <laughs> she never moved. She just dropped. That I, was guess it. So. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's that's the thing with this with this four inch is that I know everyone's like, oh, it doesn't look right. Which I understand, guys. It it's completely different. But it performs completely different than anything else, also. Accuracy is there. Penetration is there. If you can't, I'll tell you, the lowest pound use that we have confirmed kill with that big four-inch broadhead is 35 pounds. That to me is unbelievable. Because when the guy told me he was going, when he told me he was going to do that, he's in Colorado. His name's Matt. Matt's not all there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We have a few of those friends. Matt does. <laughs> you, you, you guys probably have a few of those friends, right? You just yeah, go, oh yeah. One of them's name's like... Brian Chamberlain, and the other one's Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, he calls me up and he says, "Hey, he said, do you think your four-inch broadhead will work on on my lever bow?" I said, "Sure, it'll work on your lever bow." Of course, I'm thinking that he's going to shoot his lever bow right at 50 pounds or whatever, right? When he called and I, so I, he bought some. I sent it to him and stuff, and and we're talking. He's out there with mule deer and things, and he says, "Well, I got it on my bow fishing rig." I'm like so, it's still the same lever bow, right? Well, I never turned it up. I'm like, what? What do you mean he didn't turn it up? Oh yeah, I just got my bow fishing rig. I'm like Matt, what do you got? Oh, 35 pounds. I'm like, I don't know, brother. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was like, that would be cool Reel her back up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's crazy no so, yeah that's not that's nuts he shot the mule deer doe he shot her he he shot her and uh actually that's one of them calling that he cut the heart into <laughs> that's almost uh, impossible to i would leave in your mind that a four inch broadhead at 35 pounds would yeah, get that. Pick. I would got, love 
to shoot a pig with one of these things. Oh, absolutely. Oh, like, remember, I just... remember me telling you that is my animal that has to pass that first before anybody sees it on the market. You shoot it in the back and it'll just take the back straps right out for you. Just fillet them out, right? You, you just fillet them right out. out. You know, just have the fire ready. You could just yeah, exactly. You know what? I think g given Pepper's results with that Greek curve, he needs a four inch broadhead at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Pepper's having a tough him. year. <laughs> it might help him. You never know. <laughs> he just called him out. I, one thing I've noticed this pretty cool. I'm, I'm I'm also looking at your gallery of pictures on the website, and it is it's pretty distinct how that that one inch hole that the the fixed makes well, yeah a lot of pictures yep. i mean it is it is an i mean it, it literally looks like you took a one inch rod and just stuck it through the and it's a yep. perfect hole it's pretty that's pretty yep. amazing yeah the way that does now let me let me tell you let me tell you what really shines on my broadheads one of you guys said something about if you hit it right I can't remember. I mean, yeah. Maybe a couple of you guys did, right? If you hit it right. Now, we all know that if you hit a double lung animal, right? 30, 60 yards, 100 yards, whatever. Good blood trail. Not, not a problem, right? Right. Where my two broadheads shine and will outdo anything else on the market is a liver shot and a gut shot. Now, what I'm going to tell you next, you guys are going to think I'm nuts. But this is what we've done. And customers have done, and I will get phone calls. I still get phone calls to this day. People will call me up and go, most amazing thing ever happened to me. I shot a little far back. And I already know how they're going to end. I know how they're going to end the conversation, but I just let them go. On a liver shot, uh, my son did it last night. That's why I was a little delayed. He shot a little far back. That animal ran 100, 150 yards, maybe, with a blood trail just like you'd have shot a regular double lung. Not a problem. And we recovered that deer with inside of 10 minutes after he shot it. So, And he shot it with, right? with, with which broadhead? With a four-inch. Mm -hmm. But we've got the same result off both of them. The way these two broadheads work on these distances i'm telling you are spooky because they are exactly the same a liver shot will go down at eight to ten seconds usually 60 to 80 yards all right mm. now we can move into the gut shot i know that seems impossible but when you go to the gut shot this is where i really shine you tell me gut this shot is held down at then 100 yards i'm i'm buying some <laughs> both both broadheads, brother, will put them down at 60 yards. We've had it do it happen before. Now, is that normal? No, not really. Because gut shots, you know. But I can tell you from experience and talking to customers all over the country, a gut shot is only alive for about five minutes maximum, period. That's it. Hmm. And I know that sounds like... I, I mean, mean just, it, it sounds crazy, but it also... It also doesn't sound that crazy with a, a four-inch slice, you know? I mean, like... It, You're getting a you lot know? more damage. Or than yeah, exactly. It sounds crazy, but it doesn't if, you know, a four-inch, you know, just basically cut everything in half. Yeah. 
right. Well, years ago when 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 people were calling me up and telling me this, and my nephew did it, and everybody was doing this thing with the ring broadhead, and they were these gut shots were going down that quick. I called my old college roommate, who's a who's a doctor, and I said, Jim, what what what's going on? I mean, I don't physiologically tell me what's going on because you know I've always been told on gut shots, you know, wait, you know, four, five, six days, or, you know, hours and half a day, right? Um, and he goes, oh, that's simple. He said, think about your intestines. He said, they're the, some of the most vascular things in the animal because that's how they get the food, right? He said, there's blood all over the place in there. He said, but it's not pressurized like the lungs are. He said, think about it. If you have a straw and you cut it and it's full of liquid, it just falls out, right? Mm -hmm. It's pressurized. It sprays out. He said, what you're doing is you're cutting that straw or those big veins that's in those guts. And he said, it's just falling out. And since it's not pressurized, it takes a little bit longer for the animal to expire. <laughs> that's exactly how I explained it to me. I said, really? He goes, yep. And that was with our ring rod head. And then we brought the, the four inch along and, and we saw the same results out of it. You know, cause you guys, you know, now this time of year and stuff, I'm, you know, I see all this stuff on Facebook and social media stuff about, you know, I shot a buck a little far back and blah, 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 and, you know, getting the dog and all that stuff. And I'm just, I sit here and I just go, I don't know if it would have helped, but I really wish you to use mine and maybe you wouldn't have to be chasing that animal around, you know, yeah. because remember, once again, that's why I make these broadheads. I want that animal on his, on the ground as fast as possible. And these two, these two designs, uh, well, on the website, you can see the ones that we call a sidewinder, right? Mm -hmm. And how, nope. yeah, I see it. What, what is the difference in that? The difference one? on that one is we made a triangle, a triangle ferrule and we screwed the blades on the side. Okay. And the reason we did that was, remember me telling you the bevel blades actually spins when you shoot it? Yeah. The sidewinder spins the same way. Okay. When you shoot that broadhead, it spins. I see. Because we liked the way the four inch was penetrating and going through everything and doing all that. So we thought we'd do the same thing with the with the fixed blade. We made it to where it would spin. And when that when that thing hits that animal, it just keeps right on rotating right on through. It cores, essentially. Yep, cores right on through. Seems like that would be more efficient, more effective. Yes. So, will that? So, in 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 theory, would that take the place of the other one? It will eventually, point, yeah. At some point, yeah. Just a, a more effective design. Yeah, because it's it's new this year, and I'm trying to get it out and get people used to using it. And some you know guys they they still want to hang on to the other, which is fine. The other one works great, but they just kind of want to hang on to the old stuff. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to get them to to go to that one. So at this point, what are you what are you seeing? Uh, you know, as far as sales and, and usage, are 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 you more on the fixed or are you selling more of the of the expandable? Oh, my number one sales has been my ring broadhead for crossbows, by far. Uh, okay. Hmm. I mean, think about that. You put that Proves ring broadhead in front of the crossbow. Yeah, it's proves the point. Everybody's. I mean, yeah, you that's, just, that's a whole nother podcast, but just yeah. 
blows a hole right through them. Well, as far as compound, though, uh, as far as compound shooters, what are you uh, selling inch. more of? The four inch, four more inch. expandable. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Do you the feel like that? Do you feel like that is more of? Do you think that's more about how these things work, or do you think that's more about just simply the market? Is leaning heavier expandable than fixed at just at this point? In time. Oh, I don't know. I I I I think a lot of people are going back to fixed blades. Don't I mean? Don't I feel you guys? Like, I, feel, I mean, oh, I do. I, I feel like I think so. I feel like there is that cultural shift back that way. But right now, I mean, it's shifting that way. But as we are now, we're coming off of an entire, you know, decade or more of innovation and expandables and people buying into the simplicity of expandables where you don't have to do as much tuning and stuff so we're i agree that we're shifting back that way but right but still right now i would think the market would bear out that people are buying more expandable broadheads than than fixed but if, if your sales you know show that that's that's what i would think yeah i i think i think a lot of people are and this is my opinion. I think a lot of people have moved away from expandables because they've had quote unquote troubles with them. You know, <laughs> yeah, most of them something goes shoot, wrong. shoot them in the shoulders and they can blame them on yeah. the broadhead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with you on that one. Um, but, you know, I'll be the first one to, to defend every broadhead. When a broadhead fails, quote unquote fails, it ain't the broadhead. That's a hundred percent fact. Yeah. I will guarantee you every single time it is not the broadhead. It's something you did wrong. Yeah. But in, in today's world, we can't we can't look at ourselves. I mean, I, I always me, have me? Yeah. I didn't do anything no, wrong. I, I can look back. <laughs> not me. I can yeah. couldn't have been me. I can look back to days where I, I worked in a bow shop for a couple of seasons and Oh, I, I, more than one time i had somebody come in during the season man i, I made a i made a great shot and we just couldn't find there i'm like hold on <laughs> back up a second you know <laughs> let's start over you made a great shot uh -huh. and the deer just defied physiology and logic and you could uh -huh. you know it just i got man i made a really good shot uh, so i don't think so because <laughs> to the point <laughs> Most of those guys, you start talking to them and start asking them questions and stuff, and it's a shoulder shot every single time. Yeah. Yep. 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 Shoulder you know. blades save a lot of animals. <laughs> well, you know, back when I started with the equipment that I had whenever I was 8, 9, 10 years old, the old fellas that were helping me get started and stuff, that was, oh, man, they were like, you stay away from the front leg and the shoulder. You go back. Yeah. And getting that rib cage, that's the only place you're going to get in. Because, you know, our equipment back then was not anything like we've got now. I started with a 40-pound recurve. Yeah. I ran around with that thing for several years. And then I got a compound bow. I thought I was like, ooh, you know, yeah. 165 feet per second. I was just blazing the trail. Yeah. Yeah. And that... old aluminum, aluminum arrows and... We've definitely come a long way. way. Still shoots the women mirrors. Yeah. Well, and that, that's one of the reasons why I got into this too. Is like you know all the, you were talking about all the technology on on the broadheads and stuff that has changed and gotten better and stuff. Great. Let's keep going. Because these 
two designs. I, I told you exactly how they they perform. And that's not just me going pulling it out of my butt somewhere because we we've been doing this for many many years, and that's what people the testimony that people tells me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a claim on these things that it's not gonna be right because it, you're not gonna go very far on that one. You're just not. Yeah. You know people, I mean, people are gonna call you, know, you on that. Yeah, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out real quick, and then you're done. Yeah. Well. It's been a very interesting conversation and very enlightening. And um, I encourage people to go and check out fireinthehole.com and uh, check out some of these broadheads that we've been talking about. And, and we'll be following along as I'm sure you guys are, are posting. Yeah, I would assume you guys are going to be posting, you know, success stories and, and pictures and stuff from the people that are using your products. So uh, it's definitely... Uh, Definitely interesting to follow, and there's some pretty, pretty amazing pictures on the website right now that kind of back up a lot of what you're talking about. So, we appreciate you taking the time to come and share a little bit about it with us and, and talk to us about it. Like I said, people are always interested in talking about broadheads, and I think, you know, one of the things about conversations like this on a podcast is that, for the most part, you know, most people, and I'm, I'm speaking, you know, in a in a, in a broad sense. A lot of people don't really understand the engineering, the science behind broadheads. They they go off of, well, my right. buddy shoots these, and he's had a yeah. lot of success, or, you know, the bow shop guy told me these are the best ones. and They don't really understand what's happening when that broadhead hits an animal, you know, or when right. it leaves your bow and how it works. So that's been some really good conversation. We appreciate you taking the time today to come on the podcast and share some of that with us. And, again, I encourage people to go check them out, fireinthehole.com. And also want to uh, remind you again, if you want to win a, win a bow this December, go buy a Louisiana bow and her hat. Buy a hat, win a bow. That's our, that's our thing. And so for me and Levi and Colin, I guess, Kenny, before we go, um, what you got lined up for the season? I know you're up in Illinois, so it should be about prime time for you guys, huh? Oh, it's on. <laughs> it's, it's on. We, they just started last weekend – was the first time I saw a buck behind a doe and he wasn't like right on top of her, but he was, you know, dog along 30 yeah. yards behind. Yeah. And, um, and then my son killed that one last night that was right with a doe. And then, uh, we went out earlier and set up some stands and some blinds and stuff. We're going to hunt in the morning and we just did a, a trip around our little block and we'll be count. Wow. 30. 10, 12 deer. No, it was more than that. Yeah, they were they were just out in all the cornfields and on the roadsides, and yeah, they're they're moving. Well, we're headed north in the morning, and, yeah. So, uh, so you guys you guys are probably getting a good time to go out there to that, even uh -huh. though it, even though it's warm, they'll still move. Yeah, well, well that's they're what we're that's what, that's what we have to kind of count on is that the, <laughs> the warm weather doesn't slow them down. That's the only option. <laughs> just take a fan, just put a fan up in your tree and blow a little, you know, keep the breeze going and they'll they'll yeah. they'll come by. <laughs> well, we'll we'll update everybody how that goes. Thanks again, Kenny. We appreciate it and uh, thanks everybody for listening. Wish us luck. Make sure you continue to interact with us on the community page the Facebook Louisiana Bowhunter community page. Check us out. Some of the new merchandise, some of the old stuff we still have in stock at LouisianaBowhunter.com and stop by your local retailer here in the state if they don't have it. Ask them to get it. Tell them to get in touch with us. 
Uh, We appreciate the support. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.